Welcome back to Noisy Ghost. This episode, we interview controversial performance artist Anne Liv Young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she talks about her life balancing career with motherhood. And she talks about her interactions with audience members and how that bolsters or uh, hinders her career as an artist. And she talks about stand-up comedy and Andre, what else does she talk about? Uh, uh, growing up in the South. Growing up in the South. We, uh, we both came from, uh, you know, humble beginnings in, uh, humble origins. Yeah. Did you guys have those pants that are like, uh, they're ripped and they, they stop mid calf and then you have bare feet. I think, uh, Anne Liv Young and I, uh, when we were young had to share a pair of overalls. And not like Even the sexy were, overalls I have, like from the Gap, like you the know, ones like that, sex overalls. You know, Everall. You know, not like <laughs> the real slutty overalls. <laughs> no, the, like the ones you wear so you don't get like, sex all over your clothes. Yeah, sex. Yeah. And then you have you have just one strap up, so like your boobs hanging out, just one side. <laughs> not yeah, not like the kind of overalls I have, where there's another a third strap that just goes up your butthole, just oh, nice. to like let you feel at home. <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't. Have, you had the old timey overalls. I think there's a reason that people don't make a lot of sex clothes out of denim. Yeah, you know it chafes. Yeah, unless you're into that. <laughs> yeah, unless you're into the chafing. Oh yeah. I mean, every every house used to have a chafing dish. Am I? You are right. Right. You're definitely right. What is that for? It's uh, the thing that you put uh, food in and it keeps it hot because it's got a little can of sterno underneath it. Oh, huh. that's what a chafing dish is. Yeah. But we also talk with Anne Liv Young about uh, her experiences with audiences and her alter ego. Yeah, would uh, you say would you say it's fair to say that her personality chafes the audience? Definitely. Well, certain audience members, but her the audience chafes most with her persona that she plays, whose name is um, Andre. No, it's not Andre. Her I'm name Andre. is not Andre. Her name is Sherry. Yeah, and she's a um, a therapist who wants you to share things. Yeah, and she does something. And she does something called therapy, uh, which she sort of performed with me and Andre when we went to see her in 2013 in the fall in Brooklyn, in downtown Brooklyn. At Issue Project. Yes, where she it was October of 2013. Yeah, and she asked us a bunch of questions. She like picked us out in the audience. She uh, played a number of characters in that show. But the main one was Sherry, though. Did you guys know her at the time? No. I, I wouldn't say we we know her now. Oh. I mean, she we talked to her. But well, we but you you yeah you sat down for a face to face. But at the time, you were yeah. just any any face in the crowd. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had heard of uh, her reputation. You know, she had uh, done a number of performances that were. Uh, written about in uh, contemporary art press and in, uh, you know, people who had blogs about uh, performance art and downtown theater and stuff. Yeah, a lot of people really sort of hate her, but that makes her a darling of the press as a result. You guys, I have breaking news. Breaking news? <laughs> I went to put the this blanket over my lap, and I have reason to believe that this is my first encounter with a Snuggie. Oh, is this shit. a snuggie? Oh, uh, that might be a snuggie. Because I was like, interacting with because I literally was like, this blanket has a sleeve. I think that's a snuggie. It's, no, it's not. It, it's just a, a 
It's a uh, a zip up jacket with a hood. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, so I'm using your hoodie as a blanket. That's fine. It's All fine. Right. We now return you to your regular. <laughs> it, our our studio, the murder room here in our apartment in Chicago. Four five three seven North Polina Street, apartment one B. For all you axe murderers out there, they call it the murder room because they leave all their doors unlocked. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's and their dog never barks at anyone. It's kind of cold here. It's yeah. uh, late January. In Chicago, uh, it just started to snow. Uh, there's a an enormous blizzard that has uh, crept down from the north into the northeast, and it's going to be uh, it's ravaging dro- the east coast. Ravaging we... it sexually. Yeah. It's going to be dropping uh, between two and three feet of snow on uh, New York and Boston, and pretty much every airport north of DC is closed. Which is for where Ann Liv Young lives, Miss Ann Liv Young. We hope you are doing okay. With your babies and your husband in Jersey City. No. Uh, well, you can't be doing that good during Jersey. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. Oh, wow. That's a not safe joke at all. Is it? No. Oh. So, <laughs> so in I her, thought New York hated New Jersey. It's okay. In her oh. shows, uh, she- I don't want to be controversial. She talks to the people in the audience and- Asks them about their personal lives, and then she asked us how many times we had sex dur- during a typical week, and yeah. we were like very honest about it. It was yeah. like actually, she's so weird because like it wasn't even that awkward for her to ask us that. I don't know, it was weird. She yeah. has she has a way about people. It seems like part of what she wants to do is uh, remind you that performance art used to be a thing where you didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, she wants to surprise you, which is pretty refreshing, actually. But she, you know, well, we talk about that more in the episode about how, what her influences are, her idols or whatever. Um, Mm. But most importantly, we talk to her about, like, specifically her relationship to the audience. Um, Like, what it is specifically she's reacting to or against or wanting to create for the audience. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, as much as she... uh claws at the audience to get them to respond it's it seems like no matter what she does the audience refuses to take the bait and at each one of the shows that she does it doesn't matter how outrageous she is it doesn't matter whether she pisses on the floor or you know uses racial slurs or you know transphobic slurs or or does you know any sort of uh, thing like even throwing stuff at the people in the audience and, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about her most recent show, and this is one of the first questions I asked her in the interview about, um, like, her, her most recent show is um, Anne Liv Young is in jail. She's being tried for her sins. She's in jail for her sins. And a friend of mine was like, well, I don't think it's very okay for someone in this particular political climate to uh, pretend to be in jail, like when there are actual people in jail. That's stupid. I kind of thought it. I don't know if it was stupid. I, I well, I mean, it's not stupid, but it is sort of like. I, I mean, like what? Just theater, because something, like, just because something happens, and just because something happens in real yeah. life, doesn't mean you can't do it on stage. Like, yeah, I get the politics of it. Yeah, I get that. But like, also, but she's she's not a... like literally. People wanted her to be in jail. She's not like just doing this as like yeah. a lark. Like people straight up have called for her and like and you know. But uh, that's sort of a long-standing thing. Being in jail is like. That happens a lot in in movies and stories and stuff. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, we've never talked about jail until now. Right. But the point I'm making is that, like, people have actually in her, in like, critics and and, 
um, audience members have like called for her incarceration. Like they fucking what? hate what? her so much. Like... They, that's how much they hate her. And it's sort of like she was responding to that. She wasn't just like, oh, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be fun to be like Trayvon Martin or like, well, he never. Well, got he didn't make he, it to jail. He didn't even get a chance to be in jail. But you know what I mean? Like, I, wouldn't it be fun to pretend like she's responding right. to critics? She's responding to audience members in a particular way. So I feel like yeah, it's no, that totally makes sense. More well, okay in that way, but oh, it's I totally sort of, okay because yeah. that fits in like the idea of like be on trial in the media and yeah. that whole like sort of hyperbolic response to criticism. That makes sense. Well, there's this thing when uh, when a person is a performer, mm-hmm. where uh, part of what they're doing up there is asking the audience for permission to be on stage, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, you know, somebody who is like a a comedian or an athlete or a, you know an actor in a stage show or whatever, uh, they have to rely on the audience to allow them to continue to do their performance. And so if a person is, you know... Uh, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if a person is possibly guilty of something that makes the audience mm-hmm. really unhappy, then... You didn't entertain me enough. Like, mm-hmm. you deserve to be or something, put away. Or something <laughs> yeah. else even, you know? Like, uh, they could be guilty of being a woman, you know? And then you, right, you which get, is what she argues, I think. You know, like, the, the the thing that the Riot Girl rock and rollers were always complaining about was that the guys at the show would yell, show us your tits. Yeah. Like, they weren't giving these performers permission to be on stage. Yeah, but then in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile they would totally show their tits, mm. you know? Not all of them. Right. Excellent. Which is not an art what which is by the way, not an argument for like dudes to yell at women to show their tits. I'm just saying that this is like like nudity and and anger and Sure, Courtney Love would performing. take her shirt off or you know yeah. some you know, she would uh, jump into the crowd and they would rip her clothes off. Mm-hmm. And maybe that wasn't what she had in mind. Right, yeah. But uh, you know when you want the stakes to be higher in mm-hmm. performance Part of the thing that what are the stakes like? What are the stakes that we're talking about? That we're talking about whether or not the audience is going to let you do your show. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I think this is the thing we sort of talk about a little bit with Anne Liv is that like when she gets naked in her show, you know, people will be like, "Oh, that's so like, like it doesn't mean anything. It, it it doesn't matter. It's like so the norm now when performance art to take off your clothes." But I think that her nudity coupled with the way she hurls insults and the way that she's just so violent in a way that's so openly unsexy is incredibly offensive to both men and women who go to see performance art. And I think that's what I really respond to in her work. And the way she responds to heckles, you know, is so important mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, I, you, I think you want your performer to be good at uh, dealing with hecklers, right? Right. Because it's sort of like um, like a test. That's like what... a magician. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like someone that can handle hecklers, you're like... Well, it means you're a good writer, I think, ultimately. But it also means that you had good reason to put faith in this person. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if they can handle the heckler, then that means that it was a good idea for you to like them. Right? You, your faith in this person has been redeemed. Yes. Yeah. You were talking about uh, uh, before... I was having dinner with some friends recently and we were talking about faith and religion. I think that applies to the heckler thing, right? Because that's like someone that's not agreeing Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the liturgy or whatever. And so if someone can handle that heckling, that's like proving 
they're worthy of your faith. Right. And we talk about this in the, in the interview, too, where we talk about her, about Anne Liv's response to other artists where performance artists are like, oh, yeah, this is fucking performance art. Like, this is live. This is live theater. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what it used to be, you know, in this, like, ahistorical nostalgia that we've cultivated. You know, it used to be that you could disrupt a performance and that was part of the performance. And it, that's what it is to be live. That's a, what live For a long means. time, not even just, like, a downtown New York thing, mm-hmm. not even just a theater thing. Like uh, when the the guys from um, uh, what were they called? Act Up. Yeah. When they would go to uh, Catholic Mass in the late eighties. Yeah. And, and spit the that's what fucking uh, performance art out is. onto the floor, and then the guys. So how are the priests dealing with their hecklers? They are scooping the stuff up, and then they go and eat it later. Well, that's what I love about that too. Is that. Like it, it, is, it assumes that Catholic mm-hmm. Mass is performance art in the same way right. that what they're doing is performance art, and it's like 100% accurate, I think. Mm. You know? So I think the heckling, I think, is is an import, is an a crucial element to her act and it, as, as actually partly constitutive of it. Yeah. There was a guy, uh, Bill Cosby, comedian, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There was this guy. What was his name? Oh yeah, he, um, Phil he, was, he was like he was a Canadian comedian, or he was performing in Canada. No, he's American, I believe, and uh, he was performing in Canada recently. And a young woman uh, got up in the middle of the show, uh, and uh, Cosby asked her where she's going, and she said she was going to go get a drink. And uh, he said at the time, this was only a few weeks ago. Uh, you got to be careful drinking around me. Which is like I can't tell if this is the most brilliant thing in the world or the most evil. Well, you he, know, he got cheers and he got booze and he got you know claps and laughter. And so is this really good performance art and terrible ethics? Is that no? What he was is? just showing off the way in which he's untouchable. The way in which yeah. people there are always going to be people who are like, well, it's Bill Cosby, you know. Yeah. Well, I was also Maybe. what's the setting? I mean. Uh, people are always getting up during performances. I mean, like, if this was a club God, or something? God, yeah. It's like when we went to see Aziz Ansari in, like, the fucking middle of the city, and it was just, like, everyone got up between jokes to go get drinks. Yeah, but, I mean, like, you could go to a rock concert, and even even when they're, like, rocking out, you, like, you still see people are, I like... no, it's so well, gross. It's not that gross. It's just when you have a lot of people in one place, like, if you... you uh, you have like the life of the crowd where you have everyone singing along, but you also have someone that's like, ah, after this next song, I have to use the toilet. Yeah, it, I don't know. It just seems like this merging of partying yeah. with. Well, well that's what happens when you don't respect classical music anymore. Where you just sit <laughs> I know. With your hands folded. This is what I sound like. This is what. No, I sound but like I, I mean, on the one hand, I think that's what's cool about classical music. But on the other hand, it's like it's fucking rock and roll, man. Like, don't tell me when I'm gonna go pee. I'll tell it, you. It makes sense after that, this song that Cosby would go and perform in Canada because you know you'd have to pretty much go to the most polite place on earth right. in order to find an audience that wouldn't be willing to disrupt your performance. Mm-hmm. And still somebody ended up, you know, making the news. Right. Well, it's also like, well, that. I mean, the thing I was, because I brought up that scenario was like, that would be really weird if you're at a large venue and the comedian like sees someone getting up like that's just that. Yeah, it sucks. But that's people get up during shows, you know. Yeah, but they're getting up because it's like they want to spend money. You know, right. they need to spend money on drinks to like feel good about it. But it's not. But it's not like she was in the front row with her arms folded, and then she got up and like huffed out and was like, "I'm walking out on this show." She's like, 
Yeah, I know. So, I got to get my drank on. I've been at comedy shows where I ended up sitting in the front, not for any reason other than that. Wait, that did was... you say you've been at comedy shows or Cosby shows? Comedy shows. Oh. I've never been to a live taping of the Cosby show. Oh, man. Uh, and, you know, for whatever reason, I had a sour look on my face, not because mm. I didn't care for oh, the comics yeah. or, you know, but just maybe I was in a bad mood that day. You know, I, I have often been known to <laughs> indulge in a, in, a, in a dark mood. You know, where there's some sort of a metaphorical cloud hovering over my head, raining little teardrops on me all day. And, you know, if I go to a comedy show and I'm not laughing a lot, sometimes the comic will, you know, get upset. Yeah. You know, and... Oh, should I tell my my comedy mm-hmm. heckler story? No, because we're running out of time. Oh, okay. Thank you for listening to Noisy <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Noisy Ghost. I am here with performance artist Anne Liv Young. Hello. Hello. And also with Andre. Hey. And we're here to talk about her work and her uh, most recent show was at Jack, where it was, uh, what was it? It was uh, you were in prison and you interacted with um, people in the space. Yes. And you you were in character as Sherry. Half sometimes I was like a, I was like a, somewhere between myself and Sherry. Somewhere between yourself and Sherry. How's yeah. that work? Um, I for that show in particular, I didn't, um, I didn't want to go full Sherry, mostly because all of Sherry's tools really revolve around kinesthetics and getting really close to you. And mm-hmm. um, it's more of a choreographic character and you were in prison so it's difficult to do that yeah and I also just wanted to uh try portraying some weird side of myself or or some um warped vision that people might have of myself so that Mm -hmm. was my my objective so I didn't fully go into Sherry Mm -hmm. I like remained kind of in this place in between the two liminal space characters Uh, what did you think of the politics of doing a show where you're in prison considering the recent like anti-cop um uh young black men being gunned down or putting in being put in prison all the time like what do you think of that i mean i wasn't really in prison clearly it was it was a um it was a hand-built cage mostly made out of plastic and wood um a little bit of metal and for the first show there was no roof for the first show, there was no lock on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I had water, I had food, I had my computer. I could get out if I wanted to. So I don't in any way think that I was in any sort of real prison. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel even like I was trapped because I knew if I wanted to get out, I could. Um, either breaking the bars or just telling Michael, can you please get the key and let me out? Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, I wish that I had felt more... You know, I wish they had kind of gone further with. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't your choice. That wasn't up to you. That they they were had free reign to do whatever they wanted. With yeah, the I space. mean, Alec was the person who it was his concept and uh, the person who owns Jack, mm-hmm. and I agreed to do it. However, um, you know, in my mind, the cage was going to be metal, and I was really going to be like trapped. Right. Um, and the second night, they did put a roof on it, and they put a lock on it. So okay. I was it was less easy for me to get out, but I still could have because I could have still said, Michael, can you please get the key? <laughs> um, but he was really clear, please don't try to get out, Alec. All right. Um, so, you know, I think his whole thing was like, 
I, I do think he's a supporter of mine. I don't think he's against me, but I think his whole concept was this is what people want to see. They want to see you like in jail. They want to see you punished. So let's give them what they want. But like with you in there with food and water and with the computer, were did you think that people were actually feeling that you were punished? Did that, did that work? Did, was that effective? You know, I think it's like, for me, when, when he proposes this idea that I'm going to be punished, um, that he's going to punish me, I feel like he has to be more assertive in his guidelines and his rules. And no one ever said I couldn't have a computer mm-hmm. or a microphone. So I just, you know, I wanted to make a show. So I, um, I did whatever I wanted to do unless someone told me not to do it, you just, basically. You, you use the limitations. Exactly. As just a, you know, the best that you could, exactly. I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, I had fun. It was great. I didn't I didn't have a difficult time at all. I didn't feel, I mean, it's a little stressful because I have a little claustrophobia. So there was a moment yeah. where, where I was like, okay, is this going to cause me anxiety? But, you know, once I start going, your adrenaline kicks in and you're fine. Yeah, you know, I've spent some time in Jack before, but the, um, I didn't actually see your show, but I've, I've been, to, I went to a show at Jack recently. And the only other time I've been there before is when I used to, babysit for a little girl and I used to take her to music together mm-hmm. at the, in the jack space and it was such a weird environment there because it's sort of a small space yeah and it has like this weird tin foil yeah all, all lining the walls. the walls um and that's like their like aesthetic I guess and I, we would be there and we'd be like singing lots of songs and like dancing around and you know moving uh and it was such a weird experience because I think it was great for the kids because they, like, they literally couldn't go anywhere. They would like put a little thing up around even in that small space. So already like a cage, like a cage <laughs> to, for children and they were fine with it. Like already Jack seems like such a small enclosed space and then to like put a prison inside of it seems like, I don't know, it seems even weirder to me it was pretty weird it was a pretty weird show yeah but Um, it was pretty successful people liked it did you do you think it it sort of soothed the worries of or eased the anxieties of people um who wanted you to be punished do you think it accomplished that no i i I doubt it did yeah i think it made people probably angrier because people that don't like me which there are a lot of them uh normally don't come to my shows anymore right um so I think most of the people that came are either supporters or were just curious mm-hmm. or read about it in Time Out and wanted to go see, you know, some interesting event. I think people that really should be seeing the work a lot of times aren't the ones seeing it. Who are the people that should be seeing the work? I think, in my opinion, the people that, you know, are so against right, right. the but- Sherry character or, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think Sherry's kind of the... the one that presses the most buttons. Did Andy Horowitz come out? No way. No way. Bummer. No way. I wish he'd come he, out. He never would. He, he won't. He's too, he's, in my opinion, he's too much of a coward. You think he's too much of a coward? I do. I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. Andy Horowitz, much. if you're listening to this. <laughs> this I challenge to him. Arms. I challenge him to come to my next show. What is your he next should. show? Um, my next show is at Joe's Pub in April uh, through May, and it's an Electra cabaret. Ooh! So it's we've made Electra, we've premiered it in uh, at Styrischer Herbst in Graz, Austria, mm-hmm. and now we're making a cabaret version. 
uh, kind of a night, a nightclub version. A nightclub and Sherry's Sherry at a nightclub. Sherry is no, not no, in Sherry's it. Not in so it. this cool. is why he should come. Yeah. <laughs> he has no reason to be afraid. Um, I've actually never met him personally. I don't think maybe I have, but I don't, I don't know. Um, but he's the one that wrote that crazy article that was completely false, completely fabricated. Mm -hmm. None of the things he wrote actually happened in the room. So I have, I have real issues with people that do that. Um, which uh, performance was that? The Rebecca Patek show. You know, there's this phenomenon I read about recently where like there's, it's, Someone I know called it, um, well, Hitler was an asshole, too. Right, and the phenomenon right. is that we all know that Hitler was was a, was a douchebag. Of like, he, he did a lot of really horrible things. But people like to add things about, like, how he um, treated his wife or how, how he... did he treat his wife? Uh, like, people, Do you know? I don't know, but people will be like, he was abusive to his wife. Okay, or, like, okay. he he kicked dogs or right. he did this and this and this because we need these like mundane specific details in order to really vilify somebody right of course you know which i find sort of fascinating because it's never like you can never just be like yeah he murdered thousands and millions right. of people that's it not ha- enough it has to, it has to be these mundanities mm-hmm. that get people and i think that that's what happens with your work sometimes is that people are so upset by the general premise of it right that they need to fabricate or oh, find yeah, something that's mundane enough that they can sort of take home. Of course. And <clears throat> I think that might be like, like, oh, you threw, I was reading, I don't know, last night in preparation for this, I was reading an uh, interview we did, you did the Brooklyn Rail about like someone made up that you threw something at them, but it actually just was intercepted right. by her head, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I'm so very sad about that still. I actually did throw a necklace, but not that's at what it anyone. Was. It was a, <clears throat> a necklace that was my mom's. It was very special to me and I was like kind of ripping my clothes off and passionately sort of in protest to these drag queens that were saying that were kind of insulting Sherry Mm -hmm. and Sherry was like but you're doing to me what society does to you Mm -hmm. which is why you are dressing up as a woman coming Mm -hmm. here tonight performing at this event why are you doing that and um, I threw my necklace on stage I threw my clothes on stage and Jerry Visco like stood up just as I was throwing it and it hit her in the head and she filed a an assault case with the police she's I think she's a wonderful person I have no issues with her and I think Mm -hmm. she's fine now yeah um but that was like I think that was a a while ago when she was I don't know why she did that I don't know I don't know maybe she just wanted some press maybe (laughs) well I was wondering um in general how do you feel about uh heckling either if mm-hmm. it's coming from the stage at the audience or mm-hmm. from the audience at the stage because mm-hmm. it seems like theater has a very different relationship with that than say like stand up for sure yeah yeah i mean i personally <clears throat> have no issues with heckling and i'm very used to it at this point um because a lot of the work that i make and have been making over the past few years is very audience Uh, interactive and so I assume there will be hecklers I mean you know I remember when I was working with RJ uh, who was managing us for a brief period who has Louis B. James gallery Mm -hmm. Um, you know after that whole incident happened at American Realness people called him and said you know you need to not represent her anymore how would she feel if people interrupted her show? And he was like, have you, you know, have you been <laughs> to her shows? I mean, have you seen almost every single Sherry show I do? It's interrupted. I'm attacked, mm-hmm. which I'm not saying like it's, that's bad. I mean, it's, it's provocative work. People yeah. get upset. I'm completely ready, right. ready for it. 
Um, I don't, I don't anticipate that it's going to happen. I don't try to make it happen. I'm really making the work that I want to make. I'm really asking questions that I feel should be asked. And, um, you know, what happens happens. I feel like we're all of the people that I work with are trained, uh, in safety precautions. If someone does get out of hand, we know what to do. And honestly, we're the ones that have normally kept people safe right. in situations that have gotten out of hand. What sort of lineages or histories or uh, icons do you draw on when you're thinking about how your work uh, affects the audience or interacts with the audience? Is there, are there like people you look up to that you're I mean, I wish I could citing. say there were, there were people. Um, I'm not, I tr- I've really tried not to um, dive too much in performance art history or anything like that. I mean, my mom is one of the main uh, inspirations mm-hmm. of the, of the Sherry character, both my parents actually. Mm-hmm. And um, the audience interaction really came from, I think, studying so much theater you you know there's this fourth wall that you sort of always have to adhere to and I think I just became tired of it right um it just felt very it just felt natural to me to mm-hmm. do something else um and Sherry is very I mean it's like you sit and you do this work for people and you're looking at them and they're looking at you but you have no verbal interaction and I think it felt very natural for this character in particular Sherry to start having verbal interaction with the audience and being able to touch them and, you know, ask them questions and listen to their answers. Because that was the problem you felt with, like, with shitty art is that you can't, it's it's always protected by the institution by these institutions and by the fourth wall and by um, like the, the prestige of art itself. So the idea to me, from what I get from your, yeah. from your work, is that there's this sort of um, falling down of these barriers that prevent art from being what it should do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just, I feel like, I mean, I think dance is very different than theater, I guess, and it, that's very different than performance art. Mm-hmm. But when I look at something, I really just think of it as live performance, no matter what it is, if it's a mm-hmm. painting. Um, and so when I saw, you know, when I see work, I feel like I take it very seriously and, um, you know, me as a person and that particular show, I was viewing it as Sherry, which is a whole different thing. Right. Um, but yes, I think that people often are way too protective of what they've made. Um, in like an, in a way that's not good. I think yeah. being protective of what you made is 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 can be a, a great thing, mm-hmm. but in a way that's hindering the work. I mean, right. it's like what are you trying to do? And I was actually thinking about this the other day. So her show was about rape and she's been raped. Word on the street, she actually has been raped. So um she's making a show about rape, but you know, it was in a very light, it was in a very it was in a comical way. It was almost like she was making fun of being raped and so I when I was playing Sherry Sherry was kind of entering it in this way of okay you're making fun of being raped you know what I mean it's like how how is she allowed to make fun of being raped and Sherry's not allowed right right to kind of play the same game in posing her questions um you know, it's it's like I mean, I get I'm sure people would have a million because the arguments. politics of femininity. There's like this weird like kind of femininity that you perform that is threatening to people, and I think that um, maybe if you're more dancerly, you yeah. can sort of get away with that stuff. Because American Realness is a is a dance. Yeah, I think show. it's mostly dance. Yeah, I think that there are certain due to these disciplines being 
separated arbitrarily. Yeah. Uh, certain disciplines get to, or art art practices get certain privileges that others don't. So like you you get to be cute and fun because right. your your art is serious as right. a dancer. Right. And what you do, performance art, is 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 perceived perhaps to be self-serious right. and therefore has certain limitations on it. Yeah, I mean, it did feel very much like she was like, "No, you can't you can't do that. You can't interrupt this." But um, I guess those just aren't my rules. I mean, yeah, I guess dance, which is one of the problems that I have with the art form now in mm-hmm. 2015, it feels like a lot of those people just take it way too seriously when they're doing the same thing everyone else has done for thousands of years. Um, yeah. I just think make something new, make something different, make something interesting, ask better questions, like try harder, work harder. What was the question? I mean, what are the questions that you're trying to answer in your work? Um, I mean, I don't really know if I'm trying to answer any. I think I'm trying to ask okay. a lot. Um, you know, I think I think Sherry works a lot with race. I think she works a lot with sex and power and control. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Sherry's always dividing the room between the gay people and the black people and the white people and the mixed people so that she can... Um, so that she can approach them and sort of attack them individually and really work with them because she feels like your history is such a huge part of who you are today. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not because she feels like these people are better than these people. Um, That's because she wants to uh, accurately work with them. Right. So... um, that's one big thing. So she's interested in separating people dis- into discrete category- categories. Yeah, I mean, Sherry is like a huge contradiction. You know, she's, you know, I, I always tell the story of my great-grandmother who was, I guess, like 93 when she died. And she was one of the most racist people I've ever met in my life. She was also one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And mm-hmm. I remember growing up and being like, how can she be... How can she be so ignorant and so kind? Right. Um, And so I think I realize that people are just very um, contradictory at a very young age. And that's that was one of the big things I wanted Sherry to be when I was making the character. I wanted her to be a contradiction. Um, And that's, you know, people always say, but this, but this, but Sherry said this. And then she said this. Well, Sherry's a character. Sherry's not a real person. Um, So... Those are questions she asks. I mean, I think she asks a lot of questions about psychology and social stigmas. And um, is she a parody of psychology, or is she a um, a critique of psychology? I mean, I think so. I think she's both because she gives therapy, mm-hmm. and I think it's good therapy. I mean, it helps people, but she's also sort of saying in a lot of ways, like, why can't you help yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why Why am I a necessary part of this? Why can't you use your tools? You have so many. Because she perceives herself as a necessary part of this. Yeah. Um, I think she does, and I think she doesn't. I mean, I think sometimes she is like, you don't need me. Like, why mm-hmm. can't you... Why can't you do this on your own? Mm-hmm. This is not hard. You know what I mean? She's. I think she's just very challenging. Mm-hmm. In, in every situation, she challenges. I... I I've, I went to the show that you did at Issue Project, and I've had opportunities to talk to people that were at a few of the other shows that you've done uh, recently and not so recently. And, uh, 
you know, people talk to me about the anxiety that they feel yeah. when they're in the audience about, oh, don't pick me or, oh, what's she going to do? Or, you know, am I going to feel bad or whatever? And I wonder uh, if you could talk for a little bit about what you believe the stakes are in a, uh, a contemporary uh, performance space. Mm-hmm. Like what could, can bad things actually happen in a space? No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on what you define as bad things. I mean, I I know that people have gotten very upset and, you know, left and they're like, I mean, I just don't think anyone's really scarred for life from what Sherry's doing because I think what she's doing is actually good for you. Um, She's getting you to say things that are difficult for you to say and that's not a bad thing it's not bad to to try to say something that's hard for you to say is that inherently good you think um i think it's inherently good because if something is difficult for you to say and you genuinely feel it Mm -hmm. even if it's you know i want to rape children it's good that you say it that you get it out and then it's out of you, and then I think like a healing process. So you, you can begin. There's more room on the outside than on the inside, right? Yeah, this I, is so I Aristotelian. So. Like you're so invested in catharsis. It's I mean, I'm, I'm. My partner is a is like a hardcore philosopher, and um, to who plays Thomas mm-hmm. Sherry's like assistant, right? But I'm not, I mean, I haven't studied philosophy. I don't even really read ever. Mm. I wish I did. Um, I mean, I read books to my children, um, but I don't read like philosophy books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I believe that it's inherently good to say what's difficult to say, even if it's painful, even if it's terrible what you're saying, because you feel it, don't you? It's inside your head. You're thinking about it. Yeah. You did it. So it's sort of didactic too. You're you're edifying the, the the peoples of New York City and Brooklyn and wherever you go. How does your work go over in Europe compared to here? Do people sort of laugh at it or like 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 is it more funny to them than it is here? Perhaps. I mean, I feel like we're mu- we're much more supported in Europe. People really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the institutions, for example, are a lot more supportive. They, you know, pay to fly us to Europe and they pay us money to do shows and mm-hmm. that's how we make a living. So, um, and, you know, that's mostly because in Europe, the government has right. a, a lot of money to give to these institutions and the institutions have pretty much free reign to book what they feel is important. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here, you know, we are not, culture is not a huge part of our upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just not a big part of our society. Well, yeah, like because certain art art practices are privileged over others, and performance art is pr- very much at the exactly. bottom of the thing. What, now you say that that culture isn't a big part of, but I, I presume that you mean uh, high culture. Um, I mean, I I mean, like for instance, Cause, you know, kids are you know constantly engaged in culture in a, in a variety of ways from the moment they're born, like they're. Yeah. But they're not going to the opera. Sure, no, like, of so like high, high culture. Yeah, I mean, like in Europe, if you're an artist, or even if you're like poverty level, you there are there is access to say like the opera. Like I think if you're an artist in Europe, you get a pass for you and your family to go free to the opera. Um, How do you prove you're an artist? I I don't know. I you you, you show up with like a you probably have to fill out some paper. Well, that that would be amazing if you had to show up with a paintbrush. Yeah, <laughs> you probably have to fill out some paperwork and um, yeah. you know prove that you like do a certain amount of shows. Or so something. elephants can go to the museums if they prove they're an artist in Europe. 
you know i don't know how many elephants there are in europe that's true it's a good point i wanted also to take this opportunity for this podcast to apologize to you because i said a really stupid thing at your show in at the issue project where you came up to me and andre and i was like this is performance art and i'm so embarrassed that i said that like i was like you're doing I don't even remember tell me what happened what happened you came up to us and you were like how long have you guys been together like whatever okay and i i was like and you asked me a question and i was like said something about the fact that you were doing performance art and I'm so humiliated that I said this. I don't even remember it. Okay, well, I'm glad that you don't remember it, but it was really embarrassing. Were you saying like, were you upset? No, no, I wasn't upset. I was just like acknowledging just making a statement. I was just making acknowledging the fact that this was performance art because that was like what happened, what was going through my brain That's at that time. Great. That's great that you did that. I, and you, you were like, "There's no fucking performance art here." Like it was really funny, but, but see, it was this is Sherry. This is Sherry. Yeah, I know. She's... No, I know. But it was like I feel really embarrassed that I said that, and then Andre gave me a hard time about it afterward, and I was like, "Oh God." Why I think did it's. I, say that? I think it's great that you said that. Okay. Just let it go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being kind to me um let me think i want to ask you about i feel bad like a bad feminist for asking you about this because like i would totally never ask a man this but i'm gonna no i would i would ask a man this how does your role as a mother (laughs) affect your work um i mean it makes it a lot harder to make things for me especially since our second child Mm -hmm. because she is a wild hyena and Mm -hmm. she's hasn't she's now I mean like last night she didn't sleep hardly at all Mm -hmm. um she doesn't really sleep much she has a lot of energy how old is she she's two just two and um the older one is seven and she's very mellow and she's very zen like Mm -hmm. and the little one is like high high energy she has a lot going on Mm -hmm. um so it's it's really hard I have a really hard time making things in this city since I've had my second child. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I make thing, I make something every day, but I make a lot of like tangible things now because I think mm-hmm. it makes me feel better that I just have to be making something. Like put an object into the world. Exa- it's like I did this. Yeah, yeah, and especially when, I mean, I'm, I'm like raising them and that's my main priority and I love them very much despite what people write about me as a mother. Um, even though they've never met me, those people that write that. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, Michael and I both sort of said, if we're going to have kids, we're going to like make our lives work for them. And we spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. We see them every day for a a while. Um, And we put them to bed and we, Mm -hmm. we don't have like a nanny or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So how has it affected the work I make? I mean, do you make different choices? Definitely. Definitely. Like aesthetically or just like they I think they affect every part of me. They mm-hmm. they affect what I make, they affect what I wear, they affect how much I sleep, they affect mm-hmm. what I eat. Um I mean, Lovey is the older one and she wants to make a play. So she's just started her first play mm-hmm. where it's about unicorns and she's writing it mm-hmm. and it's a cast of four women. <laughs> and um I'm on board so far. It's pretty amazing what she's writing so far. And it actually, it's very complicated because she uses her unicorns as the characters and we use them in our hands, but we're covered in material that makes us look like we're bushes holding the unicorns. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's... This is good. It's really amazing. So I'm trying to help her. It's very Tina Satter, actually. It's it's so nice, <laughs> and it makes me so happy. And she's so... She is so hardcore about event planning and follow-through. I mean, the child's um, dedication and, and work ethic is kind of unbelievable. Right. I feel so, like I I had a stronger work ethic as a child than yeah. I do now, for sure. It's interesting. Yeah, like, because I wrote, I wrote a lot of stuff because I wanted to do it. And yeah. now I, like, still want to do it, but I also, like, want to see what's going on on oh no they didn't like I don't know right right yeah. right right you want to do other things yeah. too yeah and I feel like there's that mono focus that's so great for children making art it's so nice and she, her the school she goes to is amazing it's an arts based started by the blue man Ooh, group. you got her oh you wait really yeah the in, blue man group started a school in, that your child attends and live young's child attends it's an it's an amazing school and um she goes there and it's really, she loves it very much. Cool. So I'm trying to help her. Basically, I'm going to be in the show, but I'm going to, I'm going to be like her dramaturg basically. And mm-hmm. I'm going to help her book it, um, cool. at festivals. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to really give her like free reign. So you're like her... the producer and also the yeah, dramaturg. Exactly. Nice. Just trying to help her like edit and really figure out what, are, what are, what do you really need? Mm-hmm. Kids um, need editors. It's true. I mean, she probably doesn't. Because uh, I don't, I'm not really into drama, dramaturgy, but um, I don't know. I just think maybe it could be helpful, but maybe I might get in the way. If I seem like I'm getting in the way, I'll step yeah. back. What about the two-year-old? What does the two-year-old do? Tell me about your she two-year-old. She is. This is just the show about Anne Liv Young's kids. Her name is Akiko, and she is um, in school three days a week. She goes to a, an amazing Swedish school, um, and... She loves, what is she? I mean, she's just wild. She has a lot of energy. She loves, she loves her older sister, but she's a little aggressive with her. Mm-hmm. She wants her space. She wants to copy her, but have her space. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like finding her sort of autonomy right now, I think. And mm-hmm. she she speaks very well for a two-year-old. Nice. And so that is. Um, People tell Andre that. Yeah. <laughs> you do seem like you speak well. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and she loves she loves to paint. She loves being outside. I think that's maybe her favorite thing, being outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really funny. She's mm-hmm. just like a, I think a natural Comic. funny person. Yeah, she's just hilarious. Um, Wait, how do you, how do you think? Do you have any interest in like stand up comedy or totally? Like is- is that like I should have gone into stand up comedy? Yeah, you would be able to. You would get away with so much fucking shit. Yeah, if you I would. Were I should have done that. It's not too late. You know what? <laughs> I had an audition for SNL when I was in high school. Really? And they were interested in me for voiceover work. You could have been the Don Pardo. And to this day, I think I think to myself, why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. Why? Because I was like, no, I'm an artist. I don't do oh, that kind no. of stuff. I was really like, I was really like hardcore about not doing anything commercial and like really making all my own work. And I didn't even really think of, oh, I'm an artist, but I wanted to be like, I was you like wanted a to purist. be in charge. Yeah. yeah. And to this day, I think that was not a smart decision. But you were also in high school. It's okay. Like there, I mean, they, I, I just think like. Should have done it. There are uh performers that are making the change over to uh, a more stand-up oriented uh, 
medium. How yeah. do I do that? I need to do that. You just got to go to a bunch of open mics and you got to okay. like get I think you can probably skip the open mics. Yeah, yeah what do I right. do? You guys, because I need some creative advice. Neither of us are stand-ups. We just go to see a lot of stand-up. I just think That's the, best, the best performance art I feel happens like in the mode of stand-up comedy, I find. Definitely. I just haven't seen like any like performance art, performance art. That's like as good as like yeah. someone just like making weird noises on stage as a stand up. Like, I think I don't that's know. awesome. That's how I feel at least. Maybe you guys could give me some pl- things to go see. Because don't you think Sherry would be an amazing stand up comedian? I think Sherry would be. I think Sherry already is a stand up comedian. That's what I think. Ther- that's what I think. Sherapy is. Sherapy yeah. is stand up comedy to me. It's just like a t- in the Todd Berry mode where it's just like interacting with the with the audience. Why do these boundaries exist between the different fields? What does what do we benefit from having them? I really think it's the it goes back to this idea that when you live in Europe and you're a child, it's like art is art. And when you live in America, art is such a commodity because right. it's just not supported or funded the same way and so it's it's put into these categories so that people can like access it so more people can easily. buy it easy, and it's ridiculous because it doesn't do it any justice in my opinion so these discrete boundaries exist because of capitalism that's my opinion it um, makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense to delineate art making practices in terms of categories because then you can figure out what you need and when yeah but and, it's, it's not a purely capitalist system though because there's one big thing that makes it different which is that the people who are providing the product are happy to do it for free well that's that's a sort of recent historically a recent well the you event. know the thousands of people in new york city who are you know do acting in shows and not being paid oh, yeah. like or the, working the flea, as, right working as unpaid interns or mm-hmm. uh you know all the people that were working on uh, a speakeasy dollhouse who weren't being paid anything right i guess what i mean is the you know it's like you have broadway <clears throat> and then you have like off broadway and then you have dance and then you have <laughs> performance art and then you have fine art and then you have like video, video art. Right. And then you have sculpture. Um, and literally in Europe, I mean, for I'm doing a show in Poland in the summer where I'm performing at a huge music festival where wow. like Smashing Pumpkins has performed. And they just, it's just not, there are not um, these boxes they don't care about it. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, okay, this is a huge music festival and we're going to have a bunch of artists perform. Well, I think a lot of it has to do maybe with this like frontier spirit of America where like you have to um, chart new ground and you have to like own like it's like making things into territory into something to be conquered. Right. And I think that there's this approach that a lot of artists have in this in New York. I found that like, oh God, like, you know, you, you figure out, oh, well, I did stand-up so now i can be in movies right you know like i figured out stand-up okay figured out how to do that so now i'm gonna be in this family-friendly movie yeah and then you figure that out and then eventually you go on and you're in and you are in an oscar movie and then you're done and then you make a million dollars and you're fine like there's this sort of like trajectory yeah there's a definite for an artist like you conquer the different mediums in order to make money. But there could be yeah. an issue here with reproducibility, right? Like one of the things that all of the art forms that are so uh, oriented toward prestige in New York have in common is that they, uh, they're fascinated with the aura of the artist creator. Right. And they reject the idea of 
infinite reproducibility, right? Like uh, you might be able to make a bunch of prints of a painting, but that's not the painting. Exactly. Right. And you might be able to make a recording of a live performance, but that's not the performance. Oh yeah. It's re reifying the individual subject. Whereas maybe in Europe, they're more community oriented. I feel weird talking about Europe like this pan, oh, like this. Right. But I'm going to keep doing it. Great. <laughs> I think oh, you should keep doing I, it. I know people from Europe. <laughs> from the Europe? Yes. The, uh, well, like with movies, you can, like every movie, every disc, every reel, every little MP4 file, they're all identical to each other. Right. Right. So, you know, it's because you can market it to a massive audience, you can market it to millions, literally millions of people. It, that's how it becomes mass totally. culture <clears throat> and that anything this could be true of but it's the people that are responsible for uh creating a market for the thing that decide that they don't want that mm -hmm. you know like um like you were saying about opera yeah right opera nobody wants opera but it, whatever a few people want opera yeah you know they, you were in opera classes and you you sang I, at the opera when you were a little girl i was in the um the, the, lyric opera children's chorus as a child in chicago so the, and you know, i loved it That's there was awesome. a there was a thing at some point where people valued opera older people in europe love opera it's yeah. it's wonderful you know it's older people it. here love opera i, I still I, love opera. I, I would like to take my children next week to the opera What's what opera will you take them to? I don't know. Michael's really into opera. Opera's so. pretty good. Oh, we we just saw an ad for a show that they're doing right now at. Uh, opera seems to me like the, kind of the Renee Fleming show. The Renee, yeah, well, she's in everything because I was just this is the point I was going to make it like opera is even more in like a microcosm of like the American celebrity system than even Hollywood is. I feel like because there's like you're only allowed to have like three opera stars. Mm -hmm. They all have to be white. Mm -hmm. They all there is like one dude allowed and then two women and none of them can be fat anymore. Yeah, unfortunately, because that was like the best part of opera was that yeah. like, really fat I women know, could be like um and everyone would be like oh my god yeah. they're amazing. Yeah, Jane Eaglin I feel like was the last opera star who was allowed to be fat and now no one. But I thought they were water. heavier because of their diaphragm. Right. There's a number of myths around okay. this. Because some people, my voice teacher, when as a child, told me her theory, which is that opera singers become fat because when you're an opera singer, you're terrified of getting sick. Because okay. if you're sick, if your voice is gone, like you have no career. Okay. Like you're, you can't perform. So they spend a lot of time at home. Okay. And a lot of people, when they spend, also they're they're artists, so like anything else, they're anxious. Yeah. They, so, yeah. so they become anxious eaters. Okay. So they're home. You're home all the time. And you're eating. And you're eating. And so that's why. Okay. And then there's also like this sort of myth about like the diaphragm. Their diaphragms are like larger or something, which is not true. Okay. Because then like you true. think that about always seems strange to me. Because like look at like Natalie Desai, who's like this, t which is why she's so famous, because she's like this tiny little pixie woman who right. who can and, sing who can like, sing like a she sound her voice is like a bell see you know? i thought it was because of the costumes because the, the larger they are the more costume there is the more costume that you can have you can have, you can see oh, it from yeah. the back row i guess that's that a, the thing i've always associated like facially and we're entering the realm of like phrenology now so this is all myth and not to be taken seriously but it's to be taken seriously. thank you i think that there's a thing the only facial or body thing that opera singers have is i feel like they have really like long jaws like wide wide jaws i don't know maybe I've just from opening their too. mouth maybe just from opening their mouths so much yeah I don't know. it gets stronger yeah so they are putting opera in uh, movie theaters all over the country and all over the world that's you know, awesome you know doing live stuff and i i wonder 
why there is so little attempt made to push the the downtown New York experimental uh, theater product. Yeah. Which is, as you were just saying before, incredibly commodified. Yeah. You know, it's it's marketed to hell. Yeah. Like, especially right now with the, the festivals going on and the APAP happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, why not make a, a greater effort to, by the people who are making the work, to gain control of the way in which it's commodified? Yeah. Why is all That's of the commodification point. handled by administrators and curators and critics and everybody except for the people who who are making it and who are never really getting anything out of it apart from the opportunity to perform and make somebody else rich totally so what are the boundaries there What what are the barriers i mean i think it's really hard to market it's just it takes a lot of time and i mean what i mean it's you really need a publicist Mm -hmm. and they're expensive and I mean, for me, for instance, for me, I feel like I know a lot of publicists. I know a lot of um, writers that write for like relatively large publications. But a lot of times like Interview Magazine, I don't really know if they want to write about what I make. It's like it's, it's possibly offensive to them. I know someone was interested in me being in Vogue at one point and they were like, no way. Oh really? And, yeah. Oh my god! I want to see a like a GIF set of Anna Wintour looking at your that headshots would be an, it or would whatever. Be amazing. That's yeah. all I want. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we're we're actually we're trying to make a TV show. We've um, been working with this producer who's made a reel, a Sherapy reel. Who's we? You and you and Michael, Michael okay. and and myself and um, this woman has and of course her production company has said it's too risky for them but now we're trying other production companies and we're like just trying to pitch it ourselves like set up meetings and go our go in ourselves with like um you know this video and but why would you need a, a production company it seems like there's been a lot of success stories lately of people uh, creating the media for themselves. Like, uh, for example, Broad City. I mean, it started out with just uh, two women who were uh, improv comedians uh, making videos on their webcams. Did yeah. it start as a web series or no? It, it did start as a web yeah. series, yeah. See, I don't know a lot about this. I mean, I haven't done so much research. I think mostly what I'm used to doing is making something and then someone writes me and says, I want to book this thing that you've made. It's like that's that my strength is really making the Just thing. Just winging it. All right. And and I'm not, um, I mean, we don't book ourselves as much as we should. We don't do as much marketing as we should. It's like Michael and me raising two kids and doing this right. stuff. So, um, but we so could, much of it depends on whether or not people are offended by it, which is so upsetting to me. Yeah. I mean, I think... I, I don't know. I, I feel like just a lot of people are offended by what I make. But I think a lot of people um, also aren't. So Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I would love to start doing stand-up shows. I think that I'm going to do that. I'm going to go it. to like an open mic like you like you guys said and just add Sherry. Go to the one Creek in the Cave. Okay, yeah. that's great. Freak in the Cave. Creek, I'm in, the, creek, creek in the Cave. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to do that. And I've also been thinking about going on auditions as Sherry. That's a great idea. Like for movies and TV shows. Because, you know, I studied acting. And that's like my that's like my true passion mm-hmm. is, um, is acting. And, I mean, my true passion is really like making things. But mm-hmm. I, I love acting. And um, we also want to pitch a show 
where I am get it's like you have sort of a backstory of where Sherry came from and Sandra Bernhardt plays Sherry's mother um who she's it actually is interested in this which is I great. believe it yeah um she was recently on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine she's doing all right these days oh really yeah what's Brooklyn is that a tv show it's a, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a really uh, funny show. half hour sitcom oh, with Andy awesome. Samberg on Fox that's awesome yeah. we just saw her perform at Joe's Pub and um oh the new year's show yeah yeah we went, oh, we, to, that, we went, we went to that year. last year yeah oh, she's great yeah she's great she was great so we're, we're trying to do different things because we don't want to tour as much mm-hmm. it just gets exhausting and yeah. i i want to i don't know i want to get another dog you should totally get another dog but i, I don't want to leave the dog to mm-hmm. tour so if you got enough dogs they could look after each other that's a good idea <laughs> it's actually. a really wise <laughs> choice i think you could just leave them to just get a whole bunch of huskies and then you know yeah leave them in the house well they can even babysit your children i could just leave my kids with them they'll herd yeah. the kids yeah yeah they'll herd them the kids could ride them <laughs> yeah mm. yeah if you get malamutes definitely i love large dogs yeah i love all dogs all dog i wish we could have a dog as a guest on the podcast but i don't think that would work just That's like talk ask them about the dog experience have you heard this thing that malamutes do where they talk to you oh no. yeah they like imitate human speech sort of right they have these this thing that's like weird that and it was actually um george lucas when he was young he had a malamute and mm-hmm. he based the character of chewbacca on his oh malamute my God. and the way that the malamute amazing what they do is that they'll they'll walk up to you and they'll look at you in the eye and then they'll go and then they'll stand there waiting for you to answer them (laughs) that is so nice it's so good i love that michael got a chewbacca this big for christmas oh a really big from you yes (laughs) from you (laughs) nice not from George Lucas. I know that would Abrams. be amazing. No, I would Michael like to, loves Star Wars. I'd like to see a George Lucas directed and live young show. I would watch that. I don't know. I if mean, he's I would love to work theater, with though. some of these people. I think a lot of these people would really like what I make. I totally think so. I think like, but I think they just maybe don't know about it. They it's just don't it's know. so um, performance art seems low on uh, George Lucas's radar. Yeah. Well, there's a there's another issue, which is that um, there's this reputation that the kind of work that's done in New York has outside of New York, which is that it's um, obscure. It's Mm -hmm. hard to get into. Yeah. That it's uh, like you have to be a part of some kind of a fun club. You know, uh, when uh, when Ben Brantley reviewed Seagull for the New York Times, he, uh, I remember he said, uh, I feel like I'm not in on the joke. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about contemporary visual art. I hope that's not how the Sherry shows feel. No, this is what this is why I wanted you on the show, because I don't think any of those I think like your work tests that. Yeah, no, I would hope so. And I like that it tests like institutions as like monoliths that are like protected by the state. Like I like that it's just. But there's also a way in which every medium has a certain amount of. Uh, instruction yeah yeah right. uh, there are people that get musicals and there are people that like you know the performance it, art gets a really bad rap because sometimes it's awful you know like well, well sometimes a lot of every, times nine, it's awful. exactly like 90 percent of everything is awful. i know yeah, you say that all the time right. and i think you're right but like why is it that performance art gets the brunt of this like it's low budget yeah. There are lots of women involved. There's not a yeah. lot. Of, there's no spectacle to distract you. Lots of gay people and you. women. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of trans. Yeah, a lot of trans folks. Some black people. Some black people. Though not, there's some not black so much people in New York involved. these days. No. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's written off as, I think, trashy a lot of times. Really? I think it's written off as being like 
pretentious. Okay, maybe it is. I think that's what the maybe issue is. Right. People are like, it's because in the sense that I think my work is trashy. That's why I said. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think your work is definitely trashy, but I think pretentious is like the word lobbied about, which is to say that people feel uncomfortable around okay. it. Okay. Because like Andre is this. Well, thing. they they feel uncomfortable about the, their intellect. Yeah, I think performance art makes oh, people feel dumb. Okay, yeah, I think because you're probably right. they are dumb. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I feel dumb watching performance art and I feel that's fine because I felt I feel dumb like Sometimes 90% of my okay life. to feel dumb. But, yeah. But a lot of people, especially like the way that they react or the, their relationship to the community of New York, if you're not in New York, is those are the people that are super duper smart. Yeah. And they have all the culture and we're a bunch of dumb hicks. Right. And that's how I feel about Boston. And so if they do something and we don't get it, then that means that we're stupid and right. they're laughing at us. And I guess this is another reason why like Beyonce and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry rip off a lot of the oh, yeah. performance artists downtown. Oh, it's been going on scene. for decades. Like, well, Lady Gaga used kid. to be a performance artist, right? Did she really? I think she, say that, she used to perform in drag clubs and stuff. It, uh, she was an undergrad at NYU was doing uh, I weird never stuff. saw anything she made. Mm. Mm. Never even heard of her. Never heard of her. I think they might have just made that up. Maybe. To make her seem more. Uh, there's a video of her performing at the Blue Note in like, I think, 2003 or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe she did it one time. Crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to say. You would mm-hmm. think that they would want to call the performance artist and be like, do you want to make this with me? Or well, you know, just Ka- to make Kanye it more does. interesting. Kanye does because Really? Kanye what does he do? Uh, well, back when he did uh, My Beautiful uh, Dark Twisted Fantasy, he worked with uh, Vanessa Beecroft. Oh yeah, but Vanessa Beecroft. That's I know she's so a blue, different. She's blue chip. She's huge. She's totally. been a big star for and decades. And she's like a vis- she's considered a visual artist. And but back in the '90s uh, and the '80s and the '90s, uh, you know, there were all these music videos being made, and a lot of them, when they weren't, some of them were uh, directly just ripping off uh, performance artists like um, yeah, uh, like Valerie X. Uh, Valley Export or um, you know they were ripping off video artists yeah uh, but sometimes they would just bring those artists in and have them make work see I think that's what they should be doing well the, that's the, really um, that's the way to, su- to sustain this field <clears throat> exactly and also that's like um, that's more it's cheaper like, to that's rip it more off of a risk of mm-hmm. course it's cheaper to rip it off but come on they can afford to Mm-hmm. to take a risk and like work with an artist. I think Beyonce ripped off that whole Anna Teresa de Kirzemacher thing. Wait, what? <clears throat> and they settled in court. Oh, for that, uh, the video with the dancing in the, yeah. yeah. Oh, single ladies? No, 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 not no. the single ladies video for the You're, you're saying the video countdown. with the dancing. Oh, countdown. That's my favorite Beyonce song actually. And yeah, the video not- is gorgeous because it's identical to, identical. A, to a piece of video art oh, that, really? that was created by a dancer. Oh, I think I remember this controversy yeah. happening. And she, um, Anna Teresa de Kirzemacher got a lot of money from that settlement. Mm. Good for well, her. It was a, yeah, it's but good. it's a, it's a, you know, like uh, numbers on a dial. Like, how much are you going to rip off the yeah. artist? Right. Like, so that you don't get caught. That's right. the repro- reproducibility thing. You right. Were if, if she had just done ripped off her and like three other people, yeah, <laughs> then you could say, oh, I'm, you know, this is fair use. I'm uh, appropriating images from the culture in which I exist. This is a comment on the right, the course. medium, but just recreating it without even attributing. I mean, she just did it clumsily. She yeah. wasn't the problem. I think she people. probably didn't even know who it was from. It was probably some. Oh, I think she knows. No. I I have a lot of faith in Beyonce's intellect and her awareness of the, the world around well, her. They That's go out good. of their way to give you the impression. 
impression that she's incredibly uh, involved in the film. I don't. I don't believe any of it. You, I it, watched that documentary she made. I, just, I watched, watched it too. all of her things. And she's oh, sitting there at, at yeah. Final Cut Pro making. You think it was selects. posed? You don't think she knows? I don't think she's super intelligent personally, um, and that's I don't think that a lot of these ideas are her own. Hmm. That's that's my opinion. I think that she's. You think um, she's being marketed as this, totally this uh, all person this Definitely. this uh, uber frau i mean people are like you have the same amount of hours in your day as beyonce like that's this new quote and it's like, oh really are you kidding she is she has at least 25 hours yeah and <laughs> she has so many nannies and assistants and her i mean she's in great health have you read yeah, her she's got diet Jay-Z there she just des- he's 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 great with the kids he oh he's so great with them he described there was an article they wrote that described her diet and it was like, oh, wait, I don't actually want to be Beyonce. She's like, I start the day off with uh, a single egg white. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I eat some watercress. Like she, she eats like a goat or something like she'll like, and then later and then I eat a couple napkins and then I work out like it's it's see, I even think that's probably fabricated. <laughs> think I think that- it's all just a show. Hmm. I don't know what that's my opinion, because I don't know. I just don't I don't I, I don't believe her. I don't believe that she's. I don't believe that she's in control of everything that they want you to think she is. Maybe. It's nice that she's in a position where she creates this uh, image for the world where if what you want is to believe that she's... I believe in the image. I do. If you want to believe that she's capable of these things because then that gives you strength and then you're able to, you know, attempt things that maybe are outside of Mm -hmm. what you can do. Well, Beyonce's like Santa Claus. But then on the other side, if you're like, I don't want to believe... Because I, I want to be critical of the media apparatus and I don't want to take for granted everything that's fed to me. And, you know, if these gods are presented to me as being, uh, you know, better than me, then I, I don't want to feel insecure or inadequate just because I don't live up to what they're telling me I want. Yeah. Then, you know, she is so much that she can do both of those things. Well, I, I just think if she was a true hero, she would do things like not take the images of her like like this singing off the internet, like not right. have her publicity I was, team. That was m- the most disappointed I've ever been in that stuff. And then also she would come out and say what happened in the elevator. She would be like, look, my husband's cheating on me and it's really difficult. And my sister confronted him. I just think like that is, um, that changes the world. Mm. That I, changes. I understand what you're saying, but I just think that Beyonce, like I was trying to say that like Beyonce is like Santa Claus or like God in the sense that like, you like Andre saying like you can choose to believe in the image or you can't whichever is most convenient to you like she's a floating signifier like mm-hmm. she can be whatever you want her to be you can you can do do what you're doing which is believe in the apparatus mm-hmm. which is that like it's fun to watch her videos it's fun to do this I you know you watch the documentary but like right. but ultimately it's all a dumb show or you can be me and believe in and believe in the image so fervently that it's like upsetting to hear that she could be anything else, you know? Totally. And I feel like and that's nice that you have so much um, belief and will. I do. I have a lot, and I know that I know it's a ruse. I know that it is, and yeah. I, Deep I don't in your heart care. You know. I don't care. I'm like, you know, it's like. Well, it's probably a third thing, right? Like, it's always a third thing. If it's either it's you know, it's all sense. true, or. Uh, you know, it's some giant uh, conspiracy and they're smarter and better funded than us. Or they, it's some, something else. Like part of it's true, yeah, part of it's a I'm lie. Sure. And and maybe there's stuff that we're not picking up on. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the people who complain about the, the conspiracy theories about the, the government, yeah. like how they're, you know, controlling the weather and all this stuff. But yeah. like, 
I believe in that stuff. I mean, there's definitely stuff that they're doing that we don't know about. And there's definitely stuff that they're doing that they're fucking up really bad. Yeah. But it's impossible for us to know the difference. And that's the problem, right? I think it's fun to speculate, though. Right. Right. To try to figure it out. Do you guys think that because there's there's so much uh, stuff about the Illuminati and Beyonce, do you think that any of the Illuminati stuff is true? Because people talk about it enough that maybe there's something there. It's just... That's just branding. You don't really? Yeah, that's... What if there is an Illuminati, though? I think about this sometimes. It's a fantasy that people have because they want to believe that somebody's in charge, but nobody's in charge. Nothing, everything is a giant fuck-up. Nobody has ever done anything right. (laughs) You remind me of my uncle. He gets that a lot. Well, if we're both from the South, maybe we have the same uncle. (laughs) My uncle's um, called Ty. Um, Mine's Paul. Okay. Mm. My uncle's called Bill. Similar names. Listeners. All of them. Please email us with the names of your uncles. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you guys a question. Mm. So at these open mic nights, do you have to actually have jokes prepared? Is that the whole thing? Oh, they, well, they ideally, give, but I've you, seen a lot of shows where they don't. They give you five minutes. You do what you want. Okay. It's an oh, open that's mic. Awesome. You just have to sign up ahead of time. Okay. You have to sign up. And is there an audience there to watch you? Mostly it's the other people there at the open mic. Yeah. It's like weird if you're not part of the open mic to be at an I've been to open mics and people are like, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. A, a handful of people are there because they're too cheap to buy a ticket to a real comedy show. Oh, okay. Some of the people there are bookers. Okay. You know? Oh, yeah. Booking and, agents. Or, or just, you know, people who run a comedy show and they're looking for somebody to book for their show. Okay. Um, you know, I was I was asked to be on America's Got Talent. Oh, my um, God. Like two years ago. And I couldn't do the audition because I was in Europe. Um, they were like, can you come audition? Humble brag. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I was going to do it as Sherry oh. and like do the whole thing. I mean, that would be so amazing. But I think they may be caught. I think maybe like. They figured it out. Or yeah, something. I think they figured something out. My biggest dream for you. Yeah, I have tell lot, me because I need some. I need some is inspiration. for you to be on Dancing with the Stars, and I want you to be paired. But I can't decide if I like want you to be paired. Want you to be the celebrity or like or the, the dancer or the dancer because oh, I yeah. think it could be amazing either because I'd love to see you dance with like I don't know like Tay Diggs or something. Yeah, and I'm like a pretty good dancer. I, I, I know. Dancing. I know that. I know that you're a pretty good dancer. And now I'm on this crazy diet, so I'm going to look really hot by the summer. Yeah. Yeah. In one of those dresses. Yeah. Oh, Peyton Manning's retiring, so maybe uh, you maybe Peyton you can Manning. Be... But they no one knows who I am, so how could I even get on this, this show? This is well, this is why I think maybe it would be best for you to approach it as like the the dancer rather than the yeah, and then than and the then movie just, star. Yeah. That would be so good. Tay Diggs kid goes to my to the same school my daughter does. And Adina Menzel's kid, their yeah. kid together. How's yeah. that going? I don't know. They seem fine. They're mm-hmm. always sitting together and they seem very Mm-hmm. Um, nice to each other, and mm-hmm. but is he on Dancing with the Stars? Now? No, I just literally just like the first celebrity name. I would love to dance with him. Yeah, he's super cute. Yeah, he follows me on Twitter. Oh my god, I don't know how Good that happened. Oh, no, Tay Diggs follows everybody. He, he, on yeah, th- there was a big joke oh, he where does. he like he 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 didn't understand how Twitter worked, and his like publicist had to like intervene because he was like literally following everyone back. He's like, no, you have to. Stay I cool follow and everyone back too. Really? I, do I don't think you follow me, unfortunately. But I, you just post, mostly just post like Instagram stuff, right? I feel yeah. Like. Yeah. I noticed that. I was looking. I did a lot of research last night. <laughs> it's a visual medium, the internet. Is it? I'm, yeah. I'm all about visuals. Mm. You're all about visuals? Um, Is that what it says on your CV? That's what it says on my CV. So it's called, what's this thing called? Not Freak Cave. 
Oh, the, the creek and the cave. Creek and the cave. It's in Long Island City, right? Yeah, we're we're we are plugging the shit out of the creek and the cave. <laughs> the creek and the cave. Okay, yeah, they, I've got to get prepared for this. They have an open mic on Sundays. Can I audition for Dancing with the Stars? I don't know how that whole process works. I need to get like an agent, like a proper one. Do you do you have an agent? No. No. Are you kidding? No. Mm-hmm. That's amazing you that get... you ask that. Mm. No, we do. Um, we do everything ourselves. We're yeah. crazy people. That sounds exhausting. I mean, we just, we tour Europe. We make like plays and tour Europe. That's what we do. All right. Um, we're coming up on our time. So I wanted to ask one final question. What do you think? Um, the, okay. The biggest thing I see in reactions to your work and really all work in general of this type is people get offended. Do you think, and this seems to be like the worst thing that can happen to any, uh, as a reaction to art, like it is does it offend you or does it not? Like that's the bar- that's the barometer. Mm-hmm. I think this is bad. I think that there should be like something else that we feel. Mm-hmm. There what probably you- is something else we feel. We just don't know how, we don't know what to call it because we're, I think a lot of people just aren't super in touch with themselves. Really? So you, like there's, I mean, I guess work can make you cry or it can make you laugh or you can feel offended. Are there, what are the or other? Or you can feel nervous or you can feel anxious or you can feel like, I don't know how I'm feeling right now. I feel like but I never I'm feel that way. Something, mm-hmm. And so I'm going to tell you that I'm offended. So that's, that's what do you think is the real what happens. thing? Is that being offended is the name for something else that you're Definitely. experiencing? Oh my gosh. I remember I was doing Cinderella in Dresden and this woman was like flipping out on Sherry. Um, and she was like calling me fat and pretty much any, any derogatory thing she could think of. She called me in English or in German, uh, in English and more frightening. in German. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then I started doing the same thing to her, like, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, telling her off and all these horribly. I love that you remember the the biggest thing you remember was that she called you fat, (laughs) which is my, I've had that experience too. Like someone will call me like a fat cunt and I'll be like, I can't believe you called me fat. She (laughs) called me, she was like the only nice thing about you are your legs. I mean, she really (laughs) went into like detail (laughs) and I remember, so Sherry's method was I'm going to do the same thing to her. Mm. And um, she started crying and she got so upset. And then it was this beautiful moment where Sherry sat down with her and was like, it's okay. You know, you can you can push through this. You can work through this. Give me your hand. And Sherry, like, totally helped her work through it and figure out what was she really feeling. And she was really feeling confused and scared and anxious. Wow. That's amazing. Sherry's a healer. She is a healer. And thank you so much, listeners, for listening to Noisy Ghost.